Previously on The Talking Dead. Thank critical yeah. lessons from Dinehill ever since I tweeted that Shenmue joke by accident. If there is no controversy, we'll invent one. Ian, I mentioned this to you and you said, God, you hope not. <laughs> Why? Humor is good for everything. Even bad. Uh, yes. Make sure you Google Sonic Sex Kotaku, not Sonic Sex, because the latter won't get you what you want. The internet has killed gaming. I've never felt more alienated as an adult human being than by watching those videos. People took days off from work to play Diablo 3. Who thought Mass Effect 3 was a good idea to put on the list? I think this whole year should just be called Shitstorm Sarkeesian. Because this isn't really just a matter of games here. This is a matter of how we're allowing ourselves to participate in an industry that is objectively evil. And welcome back. This half is the fun part, the happy part, the actual games. I'm your host and MC, Eric Swain. With me again, our mistress of the roundup, Chris Ligman. Are you implying that controversies aren't fun? Forger and forager of the board, Alan Williamson. Howdy. And because this is not as professional as I always wish, that's it for now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it likes to be more professional. You know, Ian was really dragging it down. They did this one last time, so... If we get onto the serious talk now, it's the three of us. This year was huge in games, possibly one of the best years gaming has ever had. I could see in the future 2012 being looked back on in the same echelon alongside 1998, 2005, and 1987. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I was trying to think of games that come out that year. That's totally thrown a curveball already. This isn't good. I could bring up my list. It has been a really good year for games, just not triple-A games, really. Yeah, see, it's kind of been the year of the indie game, hasn't it? Yeah. Than any other previous years, because you always, like, hold up one or two stalwarts as this is why indie games are good, this is where things are moving, this was the year of the indie game, and this one, it's like, they just crush triple-A development. If only they did so in numbers. But see, here's the thing. It's like now you have uh, this is also this is also the year of the Kickstarter game in many ways. So in a lot of these cases, it wasn't necessarily a, a little struggling indie developer that made these big splashes on Kickstarter. But you still have these cases where you had people going to crowdfunding as opposed to traditional publishing and financing models. So in a way, you could postulate that these big studios like Obsidian and Double Fine are going indie, too. They're going rogue. Well, and another way to look at it is that a lot of these indie games, I could even say a generation ago, wouldn't have been considered indie games. It seems like the, this is also the return of the mid-range game, to some effect. Mm-hmm. It's like a second arcade generation, except there are no arcades, except for the arcade one, for the, uh, the cardboard ones. Except we do actually accept a lot of games are moving back to coin op. Really? Yes, oh. via the via the free to play model. Yeah, it's the, same, it's the same old thing with a new name. Oh, Alan, in case you're still wondering, in those three years I cited: 1998, Resident Evil 2, StarCraft, Unreal, Fallout 2, Metal Gear Solid, Grim Fandango, Half Life, yeah. Ocarina of Time, Thief, Baldur's Gate, Final Fantasy Tactics, Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, Pokemon Red and Blue, Sudoikin 2, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. All one year. That's not, that's not bad. That, that's making me want to leave this <laughs> podcast and go play some game. 
2005, Resident Evil 4, Devil May Cry 3, Dante's Awakening, God of War, Shadow of the Colossus, Psychonauts, Killer 7, Nintendog, Civilization 4, Guitar Hero, Indigo Prophecy, Jade Empire, Phoenix Wright. That's not near. I don't know what that... Oh, that's, that's, that's still good. What's that Indigo not, Prophecy one? I don't know that one. <laughs> and nine, okay, 1987 isn't as impressive, except the names are just huge. The problem is with uh, these are the mid-80s is that everyone has different release dates. But 1987, Street Fighter, Castlevania, Contra, Mega Man, Fantasy Star, Metal Gear. Uh, see, a lot of those aren't actually... And depending where you live, also Legend of Zelda and Super Mario Bros. That's not, that's not bad. See, in 1987, I was too busy learning to walk and eat without choking to death. <laughs> so I have to say, I wasn't big in the gaming scene in that day. Wait, wait, wait how old are you? I'm 26. I was, I was born in 86. For yeah. some reason, I, I thought 97, so I was just like, wait, what? So I, was, I thought I was born in 97. Well, it would have been 96 if you were walking in 97, but I was just like, that was horrifying me, so it's just, I, I, I don't know, it's the, it's the cough medicine. I could be a late bloomer, you don't know that. Well, that's just what... Back to 2012. Those were the games of previous era, so in 2012, <laughs> the year we're supposed to be talking about. We had all these games, that most let's of which... Let's start off in January. Yeah, this is, yeah, settle in, folks. January, Amy, Final Fantasy XIII 2, Never Dead, Soul Calibur V, Katoa Shoujo. Let's talk about Katoa Shoujo. I figured you would. Yay! I haven't even heard of that one, so oh. uh, that's a good start. You might want to introduce where it actually came from, because well, it has the most interesting gestation. It has <laughs> some pretty disreputable origins, depending on your view of 4chan in general. But the original idea <laughs> started with a doujin artist who posted kind of this idea for a dating sim that where you dated these different girls with disabilities. And it was called Katawa Shoujo, which... I think literally translates to disabled girls, but colloquially it's more like cripple girls. So it's not the most PC thing that you could possibly come up with. But the good people of 4chan ran with it, so to speak, and it was years in development, and it came out for free on their website, final version, and it's actually a fairly polished dating sim. It's, I mean... There are still, like, the erotic elements in there, but they actually give you the option to just switch those off and have a pretty conventional romance set in a high school. And apart from, you know, some pretty problematic issues of presentation, what I think most people discovered is for coming out of 4chan, it's pretty good. And it's one of those games that I'm listing in, like, this roundup that I'm putting up later this week that... This was a big year for passion projects, and Katawa Shoujo kind of set the tone for the year, where you had these big, completely independent, completely kind of fan-driven products that came out and were just sort of like released into the wild with no expectation of monetization. And so it was good to start the year off with something like that. It was also bloody sincere. It was a what-seer? Sincere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what I thought you said. Yeah, sincerity. It was a pretty... I mean, the writing was purple as hell, but there was, like, a distinct lack of cynicism with it. I mean, you really did go into it 
I mean, if you were expecting it to just be something pornographic where, you know, it's just sort of like a sociopathic means to an end thing, you weren't going to get anywhere with it. It was actually a pretty emotional roller coaster of a ride with some pretty deeply developed characters that, especially in some cases, like, well, I only played through Rin's arc myself, but I know that Muddy Bryce went through, I believe her name is Hanako, the girl who was burned earlier in life. And she found that it was actually a story of empowerment and individual self-worth. And it's just like, dang, you don't really expect that out of something that kind of started as just sort of like a weird fetish idea. Well, each story thread had its own author. Mm -hmm. So there is like wild differences between the various characters and different styles, different strengths, different weaknesses. As a whole, yeah, sincerity is a good word for it. And when you put that as, like, the most outrageously indie of indie games uh, alongside Final Fantasy XIII 2 and Soul Calibur V. <laughs> it was a pretty cynical month, apart from Kata <laughs> And I know... I, I, played, you, I actually played one of these. I played one of these. I played two, two matches of Soul Calibur V. Yeah, yeah, two whole I games. I played through the story mode. The story oh mode... God, why? It was absolutely ridiculous. What the hell? And it's, it's like as linear as possible. It's always going to be the same matches. It's always going to be the same everything. But what the time the it hell? come for warriors across the world to poke each other with sharp things once more? Except there's a main character. It's like you don't get to choose. There is a main character. Ah, uh, that sounds awful. And you're just playing through as he tries to rescue his sister from the dark as because she was kidnapped by Tira who was introduced in Soul Calibur 3, and taken, and then inserted a piece of Nightmare into her. So she became the Nightmare Carnet, and then he was resurrected, and then they died, and the kid, and the other kid... I'm stuck back at the playing a fighting game for the story. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's mind-boggling. Yeah. Well, you don't always have an opponent, and I refuse to go online with anything. So you, you do with what you do, and wow... They really went balls to the wall with certain aspects of it and utterly failed. Well, as it happens when you're humping a wall. (laughs) (laughs) And and then people say Final Fantasy XIII 2 was better than the previous entry, but I I still can't get the fact that there are two numbers in this title. Why are are you making a deal out of this? This isn't new. No, we had a, I we had a ten two as well. Let's get over I it already. I couldn't deal with that either. But but it's not new. I, Quit making a joke that's like ten years old. You know what? I I can cut you out. <laughs> do, you, do you guys anyway. want to know what the the only Final Fantasy game I've ever finished is? Is it six? Well, no, no. I have to have a guessing game, or it's not as fun. Not six. Okay. One. No. It's the only one I've ever finished. You could just keep guessing games. You get you get you get more than one vote. There's only three of us. Well, oh, what yeah. is it? Chocobo's mm-hmm. Dungeon? No, it's a main, It's one of the main series. Oh, seven. No. Okay, no, it's gonna be embarrassing. Twelve. No. Ten. No. Nine. No. We're running out of entries here. Eight. No. Three. No. One. Thirteen. Thirteen is the only oh. one I have finished. That's the... How? I know, I know. <laughs> I haven't no, finished I, it either. Like, literally, but, how? 
because the person I was living with at the time bought a copy, and I played through him. But that's the that's You it. know, I don't care yeah. what you think about the linearity of the game. I think that the world building is fantastic, and I can't wait to go back and finish it. See, I think this is where I was, I was almost tempted to get 13-2, because it's like, oh, they finally took this really cool world and made a game out of it. They, mm-hmm. I mean, with 13, I really enjoyed the soundtrack, and I really enjoyed the, the character design and like that kind of thing, but the story was just... The problem was that it was all the first ten minutes were all Falsy, Lucy, and Focus, and I just didn't understand it. They dropped too many neologisms into it. It was like Lord of the Rings, except I wasn't reading it. It was having people shout it at me on a train, and it was just too much. It's just too much. But yeah, so anytime you have to go to a game's Wikipedia entry to find out what on earth it's actually about, it's not a good thing. Which actually makes me very impressed at the Wikipedia writers. Yeah. figure it out. Probably some it looks like it's made it up. But uh, in contrast, you have, it's probably the most bloated game, actually, of the year, now that I, now that I think of it. 13-2? Yeah. And this was a year of bloated AAA games. What, what makes you say it's bloated? The Final Fantasy series, in general, is just bloated and overwrought. Any game that has a 15-hour tutorial... And you don't think it's bloated? I'm not disputing that. The only other one I've played is 9. I've played about mo- about half the first disc of 9, I think. That That's it, really. I have 12, somewhere. Might play that sometime. Yeah, okay, apparently. And, and if Ian was here, he'd just cut Amy to pieces, because apparently he calls it the worst game of the year. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> you'd have to come back and do a, do a bolt-on podcast where you just... Ian, Ian's gripes of the year. <laughs> <laughs> also, Never Dead, and then, uh, before we finish it up, Never Dead had one of the most interesting concepts, but apparently you had one of the worst executions of that concept. I never played it myself. Is this the game where you're being weapons, your own severed head? Uh, no, it's basically if your body part falls off, you can still function, and you can actually call back your body parts to reattach them. Oh. And, part, and there's, like, if you have puzzles, like, oh, shit, the door's locked, so you have to then rip your own head off, throw it into an air vent, and then you roll your head to undo the switch on the other side. <laughs> but apparently it just gets really fascinating when you're getting hit so many times that you've been reduced to a head and you're rolling around the battlefield carrying guns, shooting at the enemies while trying to collect body parts to rebuild yourself. That sounds pretty different. Well, just as well we didn't play it, eh? It would have really made the podcast too interesting, talking about it. Yep, well... And here, and now we come out, and this year was huge, just in releases, good and bad, because February, The Darkness 2, Gotham City Imposters, Kingdoms of Amalo Reckoning, Resident Evil Revelations, Shank 2, Crusader Kings 2, Twisted Metal, Dear Esser, Uncharted Golden Abyss, Asura's Wrath, Syndicate, Alan Wake, American Nightmare, Binary Domain, and then the release of the PS, Vita. I'm not rising to it. <laughs> it is it is absolutely vital that you don't. Uh, where to start? The most notable thing out of this month for me was Kingdoms of Avalor, even though it's not really a game that I jived on at all, and I didn't end up picking it up. I mean, I played through the demo and was unimpressed, but it's kind of, in retrospect, become sort of one of those games that a lot of games critics, like, carry a torch for because of what happened to the studio. It's kind of irrelevant, though, in the, the broad scheme of things, you know? Yeah. 
it sold well, and a lot of people enjoyed it. it I what I think it is is just like that kind of like Saturday morning cheese. It fills the time, and you're happy while playing it. My problem with it was that it came in February, and I was still playing Skyrim by that point. <laughs> I think a <laughs> like, lot like, of so, yeah. so that, I think that I think that actually well, I mean, it sold well, but I think it probably did harm it that. You were, you know, around the back of, I spent about 80 hours in Skyrim. It took me, like, up until about March to actually finish it. And I was frantically trying to finish Skyrim because I knew that Mass Effect was coming out in, in March. Which didn't so, help it either, so you're, you're crushed on both ends. Yeah, so it just kind of fell by the wayside. It's one of these games with a really bad name, isn't it? Why has it got a subtitle of Reckoning? Assuming there was going to be a second one? Why, but why can't they just call it Kingdoms of Amalur? And the second one could be called Kingdoms of Amalur 2. You know. Reckoning. Yeah, rec- yeah Kingdom of Amalur 2, Reckoning. Like, or Kingdom's Amalur 2, Kingdom Harder. <laughs> King, yeah, see, that would work. Yeah. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's We're definitely not going to be the first ones to mention this, but it's like a lot of these subtitles make absolutely no sense. Like, right below it on the list here, Resident Evil Revelations. Well, the Revelation, and, they just stopped making yeah. this fucking game. Uh, uh, the, the revelation apparently was that there were no revelations in the game. It wasn't it even just, like some sort of like recapitulation of the original stories. It was just like some sort of side story that had nothing to do with anything. It's one of those standard things. It's like like the return. It's like especially it's like the characters never existed in the franchise before, but you just put the return in there or reckoning revelation. I'm gonna call it Resident Armageddon. Evil recapitulations from now on. That's my new name for that game. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It's just there to sound cool, I guess. Well, I'm personally looking forward to Dear Esther 2, The Revenge. Dear Esther, <laughs> Reckoning. I thought Dear Esther was pretty much The Revenge. It just wasn't a violent <coughs> one, but a somber, oh, I can't go on. It wasn't The Revenge, it was The Guilt. But that's, well, that I thought it was really more make... The Loneliness, because he didn't, he didn't do it. Or did he? <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't think he did. Yeah, or, well, it's it's one of those, I think we're going to have to talk in Dear, we can't start from this end of Dear Esther, because Dear Esther is like the game that causes so much ire in people, and then otherwise, it's like, no, they have to rush to defend it, no matter on how well they thought of the game, they have to rush to defend it from these people who just try to tear it down. Sort of the, uh, I have to make a public apology here because I made earlier comments that could be misconstrued as me saying that I thought Dear Esther was not actually a game. Because <laughs> that's just that's just flat out untrue. There is. It, it also, I was in another was in another game of the year roundup type thing, and it was on um, it was on Skype, but it was a text chat, and so you know, therefore we had about ten people in it, and so it's obviously your comments can be misconstrued somewhat. And a couple of people said that Dear Esther wasn't a game. And I have no idea how they wanted to justify that, because I just sort of said, you're not a game. Your mum's not a game. Because I couldn't be bothered getting into this debate of what is and what is not a game. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if there's some basic modicum of interactivity, then it's a game and we can just carry on. And so, can you move? Yes, you can. Therefore, it's a game. That'll do. Let's just move on and say if we like them. It's a super stripped down... I know, that's what when people say, that it isn't a game. Well, that means you didn't like it. And then you get the people who say, it isn't a game, but I still like, I still enjoyed it. And so, then what do you think it is? You know, I think what's interesting is that in all of this, you know, discussion, there's very little effort to actually, I don't know, defer to the developer on what they were thinking they were doing when they were going in, because Dan Pinchbeck 
isn't just some outsider who has no idea what a game is. I mean, he's done his dissertation on this. And his whole idea with Dear Esther was making the proposal, like, what happens when you take a game and you strip it down to basically its most essential components? And could you make a game that was simply beautiful? And Dear Esther is the result of that. And I think it has, like, a sort of, like, academic proof of concept. It's pretty effective in that way. I mean, you do have, like, I mean, like, he compared it in a lot of ways to Donnie Darko and, you know, the entire idea of cellar door as words that don't necessarily need to mean anything in order to just be a beautiful sound. And he, he said that Dear Esther, just as a phrase, was one of those beautiful sounds. And he wanted a game where just the entire thing was you were just kind of bombarded with beauty. Not even that. Another argument that people bring up is that there's no challenge in the game. If I handed Dear Esther to my dad or my mom, it would take them five to ten hours to complete it. Really? Really? Because, well, sod, mouse controls, they have no concept of that. Well, sod, that's like, that's like the only time, I've, I've never heard somebody pronounce that in my life. <laughs> keyboard and mice. I pronounce it with sad because it makes me sad. I'm going to pronounce it with happy just to lighten the tone. I think if I had to compare Dear Esther to anything, it would be to a game that I've actually just looked is not on our list, and that is 30 Flights of Loving, which came out oh. around August, September time, because to me, they're, right. to me, they're both very similar things because right. the primary it's focus of them is now. primary focus is narrative. They could both be called non-games in that there is no challenge, there's no high score or any kind of difficulty. They're both just stories being told, and they're different ways of telling stories. And I think that 30 Flights of Loving is an interesting story told in an interesting way that works most of the time. And I think Dear Esther has a not very interesting story. And that's really, that's really my only problem with it, was that to enjoy, it, to, to enjoy it as a game, you have to enjoy the story, because there's not much else there to again. Like if you're playing something else, like say Soul Calibur Five, it's got a rubbish story, right? But that's not <laughs> that's not the primary point of the game. Um, whereas because Dear Esther is so stripped back and it is just story, nobody's going to enjoy it for the the island traversing action, you know. Mm. Um, and so it, it really relies on that narrative to hook you in. And I don't know, I just I well, it also takes a sense of place because what games can do that that no other medium can is actually give you a vicarious sense of place. Mm-hmm. It's much, it's much more than just, like, projection through into, like, a movie, even with a 3D or the losing yourself in a book. This is literally because what you're interacting with is surrounded on all sides by something that you can then change and shift. And it's that sense of place that video games do that no other medium can, that Dear Esther is all about. It's nothing else is there except the sense of place. Even the audio logs are more likely just there to fill the air, so your brain doesn't get bored. It was kind of like it's an in, it's an interesting experiment, but in terms of an actual finished product, for one reason or another, it does feel like somebody's doctoral thesis. It doesn't feel like a finished article, and so I'm I'm really glad that they made it. I'm I'm really glad that they that they did it and I played it, and I don't begrudge them the money or anything like that. But what I'm really interested to see is when they take this approach to narrative and tie it into like. If you like a more fully fledged game, I know they're working on the sequel to Amnesia, aren't they? It's called yeah, like yeah, a, a re- and they've also got some other game machine. in the works that's basically a machine for pigs. Yeah, and they have another one that's. I mean, I consider it, it's like melancholy of the game. 
it's like it's the end of the world and you have like 60 minutes or something like that to just explore the space. And I and guess it's a, uh, it's a bit like Majora's Mask without the, the game. <laughs> <laughs> there was no big scary moon face when we saw it demoed at Indiecade. So we'll see, I guess. Oh, not to get too bogged down, but to keep things moving along. Yes, the other binary side. domain. Oh, binary domain! Is, it's in my it's in my two play pile. I got it. I got it for like ten bucks. Awesome! One of my favorite games of the year, and it, I was like really surprised because it literally came down to I need a game to write about that came out this year because I'm running out of material and I need something for my columns. So I, I went I went to the library and said, what can I play? I said, hey, wait a minute, didn't this come out this year? Okay, I'll have actually played a game that came out this year, back in February. And it was one of the best games I've played this year. It was, and it's, it's difficult to describe because it seems so bog standard and at the same time so balls to the wall outrageous. And yet it's not, I have no other way to say this, it's not a stupid game. No, right, that um, that uh, that was something I think you mentioned in one of your columns about it. Like it trusts the player to be smart and to be able to parse what's happening. But it, it's just a, it, one thing that Japanese that I noticed in Japanese development is that they go for moments. They go to create really memorable moments. Now, whether or not they connect to one another to make something that's coherent is touch and go, and this is one example where it, there are enough moments that string together, that all work together, that the experience works. But the one that sticks out in my mind, and to, and pretty much acts as a metaphor for pretty much the rest of the game, is near the very end, very end, like the second to last sequence, maybe third to last, they go into a cutscene right before this big shootout's about to happen, Everyone pulls guns on everyone else. Bad guys, good guys, security robots, the entry, the so-called betrayal, a betrayal of the betrayal, every, the standard Mexican standoff. And they're all yelling at each other, but what they're yelling isn't curses, aren't insults, aren't shots of betrayal. They're philosophical diatribes on the nature of man and the legality and morality of, of actions against nations and and what they're doing. I could not believe what I was seeing. <laughs> it was like, what the hell am I watching? It's awesome. And that pretty much sums up the entire game. Well, that was probably the pinnacle moment of it. It had been building through everything. And, and it's so arcadey, too. Because the enemies are robots, so they can the developers can make whatever they want. And the boss fights are so time cop arcade style. There's one that's just a big wheel. It's a huge wheel, like ten story <laughs> wheel, and you're on a highway trying to outrun it while shooting at it out out the back of the van and out the side of the of the van. That is all you're doing. It's not like a giant barrel scraping itself as a boss at one point, is it? <laughs> There's a robot in the shape of a of a gorilla. And it's te- it's like ten sto- like another ten story tall one that you have to take out. Is it a bit like it's, um? Is it a bit like Vanquish? Because I mean, it, from what I've seen of it, it looks a little bit like Vanquish, and that, it's it's one of these it's heartwarming stories terrible. where you know, in the era of ultraviolet gauge, you can just kill some robots and not feel guilty about it. Well, the thing is, is that they is a one of the conceits of binary domain is that it's about the nature of man, and if these and some of the robots are self aware, 
and legally they don't count as people and must be destroyed. But on the other hand, ethically, they are people, and then they even parse it even further. So it's like, okay, if they're not a people, how about this version that's closer to being human? Is that where the line is? Is this where the line is? And it keeps getting closer and closer to human until eventually they end up turning on an actual human. So this is as like um, iRobot meets Blade Runner meets Vanquish meets Gears of War. Meets Ghost in the Shell. It's one is I I haven't yeah, seen yeah, actually yeah. mentioned Ghost in reference in the shell, to this. Uh, I, uh, I was actually listed in a few anime. I think Robotech and Macross were two others that were mentioned to me. I haven't seen them yet, but from the looks of them, they look like they could apply. Only one of those I've seen is Ghost in the Shell. That was a long time ago. Good yeah, time. just think of, like, the Ghost in the Shell... It's strange, because this is a, da- a strange way to say it, because it's a Japanese developer, but Ghost in the Shell, as told by Epic Games. <laughs> <laughs> it's a <laughs> giant Epic. robot! Pretty much! It's like, what are you else are you supposed to say when a giant robot jumps out trying to kill you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if it ever happens, I'll let you know. <laughs> There's just so much good about it that you... Ha- I'm kind of disappointed because I hype this up to a lot of people. And, of course, every time you hype something up on Twitter, it's like they instantly want... And they you convince them to buy it. They instantly go to Steam. And I'm pretty sure this is... Since it's a third-person shooter, this is not a game you want to get on PC. I've got a copy of the 360. And I was actually really disappointed because, like, like the first wave of players, they all loved it, and they convinced the second wave of Twitter body to play it, and they all didn't. They all had major problems with it. Well, screw it. I get everything on PC, and I did pick that one up on Steam sale. So, all right, it's in the it's in the pile of shame then. It's not the pile of shame. It's the pile of. Shame. You know, no, the, the the shame isn't in the, that you have games there. The shame is that you're never going to play them all. I will play all of these games. She's got an Excel spreadsheet. I have a spreadsheet. I go through it. My greatest fear is that I'll get arthritis at some point, and in my retirement, where I just sit and play through all my old games, this is never going to come to fruition. I can't remember. Let's not think about the future in those terms. So, uh, so who's got a Vita or a Vita? I don't really plan on getting one. I want one because of Persona 4 Golden, but it's probably not going to happen very soon. Why is that game not out in the PS3? It is. They just call it something else. It's PS2. That yeah, so yeah, it's in the PS2, but not the PS3. No, they released a PS3 version. It's PS yeah. Persona 4 Arena, I think. No, no that's, that's a different. different game. That's a different game. Oh. That's like a, a fighting game or something, isn't it? It's got, it's got a story, and apparently it's a much better story than most fighting games have. But um, it's just they keep releasing Persona games in different variations to different platforms. Kind so. of like Final Fantasy. Except when it's a different game, they change the number. Well, no, but I mean, like even Final Fantasy is now it's just like I mean, especially with compilation for Final Fantasy VII, yeah. it's just like they're franchises in their own right. I mean, in the case of Persona Four, it's, it's interesting to me because I mean, I played Persona Three first, and I still consider that sort of the superior game in a lot of ways. But I guess Persona 4 was the one that captured the Western imagination, and now it's kind of become this huge thing. I just think it's madness that, well, there's a lot of things that confuse me about the Vita. Number one is, why can't you play PS3 games on a Vita? And that sounds stupid, but I'm kind of coming from the, the iOS domain here, where I can just get something on my iPad and play it on my iPhone. 
They're so, doing more crossplay, so yeah, but there are games releasing for both, and you get both versions that you can pass back and forth. It's just like to me, the Vita is—it's this answer to a question that nobody asked. It's like they, that's, so that's like, kind of most of Sony's hardware yeah. output in the last but, decade. But who was playing a, a PSP? Who was who was sitting down with their PSP and thinking, "Fuck me, guys! I love my PSP, but I wish it was a lot more powerful and had two sticks." It's like what? <laughs> Oh, I wish, I wish everyone, actually. I wish I could feel the back that. of the PSP. Oh, what I really want to do is sit down and play Skyrim and my PlayStation Portable. No! Everybody wants to play, like, different games. You want to play, like, Pokemon or something ds that requires a touchscreen or something you can get for your iPhone, like, you know, Angry Birds or something you can pick up and play for five minutes. I don't want to sit and That's play... Obvious. I don't want to play ten hours of, of Uncharted Golden Abyss squinting down at a, at a handheld screen. That's just it's not my idea of a good time. I've got loads of games for my iPad, like, you know, Shadow Gone, and I've got Final Fantasy 1 and things like that. I never play them. I want to play something like Super Hexagon that takes about 20 seconds and you're done. I don't have time for anything else. I like that you just managed to cross Uncharted Golden Abyss off that list. That yep. Get out, get out, Uncharted. You know what? You're not welcome. Okay. <laughs> Last major game on this list that I want to talk about was Crusader Kings 2. Have that, because that's not really on my it radar is, at all. Well, it's not for everyone, given that the tutorial in the game sucks. Just It just does. It tells you what everything is, but not how to use it, what it affects, or how everything interacts. No, the best way to learn it is to get a Let's Play from YouTube, watch several hours of that, and you'll get the basic idea of how it works. <laughs> I myself watched a seven-and-a-half-hour playthrough that went through like two and a half generations of this family before I managed to get the, get a hang of what most of the major things did. But in Crusader Kings 2, you're basically playing a family lineage, and you don't really lose. The game just ends when every member of that family dies, or you reach 14, somewhere in the 15th century, a predetermined date. And it's, you play through the entire Middle Ages, and it's it's Game of Thrones, but only the politics part, and the backstabbing and the raising of armies, or at least how much of armies people are willing to give you based on how well they like you, and the different lords vying for power, both under you and above you. It's complex as hell, but it is one of the most satisfying storytelling engines that a game, I think, has ever produced. I'm good. Oh. One thing I've learned is that you don't want to start off with any of the big things or surround it on every side because it's way too complicated. So for the most part, you want to—I learned—I you want to start in the north. So I went to Scotland, and playing as the king of Scotland, trying to not screw up, and it was like, wow, how did the English never conquer these guys? Was all I could think. Well, they kind of did because Highlanders, but. Yeah, but I, but and the reason is, and the, the the funny thing is, it's like, oh, well, one reason is I married my daughter off to the King of England. She became the Queen of England, and England never bothered us for the next 50, 150 years. I was going to say, are you aware that I live in the United Kingdom, and that uh, the reason yeah. this kingdom was united is because the English went and conquered everybody? <laughs> I know, but the, yeah, but the way where it starts in, they didn't, and the way these lords are just fighting everybody. And fighting each other is like, and the thing is, sometimes rebellions will rise up, but they're not against you. Even though you're the king, it's against, like, a count off to the side, and two guys just fighting each other, and they end up having to cross through your capital to do so. 
it's just it's another, and, it's another uh, one of these games for me where it's so far off my radar that if you had to re- represent it dra- diagrammatically, it would be on the metal fascia surrounding the radar mechanism. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's a real pity, but I understand why no one is going to get it because it, that not everyone is going to get it because it's so complicated. And I literally jumped in not knowing much about the modern state of strategy games, but was just convinced by the people who evangelized it so much, especially on Three Moves Ahead, that I actually put a lot of effort into it. And the the stories that come out of it, it's almost it's part role-playing game in that the person you're playing will always change when they die. It goes to the next person in line or the next most, sen- I guess, senior, whether it's your son or if you have no sons, your uncle or, or brother or whoever is next. And just the stories that come out of it. Like, one guy, I literally had one son for my third generation, and he was assassinated. And my uh, shadow operative, or the guy who does all the behind-the-scenes scheming stuff, found out who did it. I just I declared war right then and there, and this was the only person I executed. You've impugned my integrity. <laughs> well, it's the Middle Ages, it's, and apparently the thing is, it's like I noticed very early on in my in this character, in this person's rule, which was the second in line, that he had the cruelty trait. So I said, you know what? Let's just run with that. And it's just like they don't really do anything other than affect other people's perception of you, and that's what this game is. How physical and real change is come only by personal perception of these leaders. Well, I'm very glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I've always, whenever I'm out of my wheelhouse for games that I and then I end up really liking and I try to describe them, I seem to always feel like I do a terrible job. The same thing happened last year with another strategy game. I can remember the last time I played a strategy game. I used to be I used to be mad keen for them, and I really liked particularly Civilization and Command and Conquer, like Red Alert and that kind of thing. And I got StarCraft two for Christmas a couple of years ago. And I played it for about two hours, and that was it. It's a different type of strategy game. It's not dissimilar from Command and Conquer. It's like kind of you know fast and furious, isometric type fun. I still like playing Civ Five, but I don't know. It's just, I guess I've just just grown up, and I just I'm not strategic anymore. I, I, I don't have time to think. <laughs> Speaking of well, things that aren't strategic anymore, hey, we we'll, we'll made it to March. <laughs> <laughs> oh, none of the others. Okay, March. You know what? I'm. I feel like just skipping the first one on this list. I don't think, not I don't think that's wise. <laughs> March, Mass Effect Three, Mass Effect Infiltrator, MLB Twelve: The Show, I Am Alive, Journey, Silent Hill Downpour, Yakuza: Dead Souls, Ninja Gaiden Three, Resident Evil, Operation Raccoon City, Angry Birds: Space. Well, I'm not seeing anything to talk about in there. Let's just move on. There's Resident Evil recapitulations. We can talk about it. <laughs> Operation Recapitulation. There you go. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the second of three major Resident Evil titles released this year. What the hell? So, uh, this must have been a pretty damn good month, because that's my second and third favorite games of the year there, which were Journey and Mass Effect 3. In that order? Uh, yeah, I preferred Journey to Mass Effect 3, all in all. So let's talk about Journey. Oh, what a lovely game. But it's not yeah, a game, say the detractors. Because all you do is hold forward for two hours. Actually, what's very interesting is that, that a lot of people who yell that Dear Esther wasn't a game say that says, yeah, but in comparison, Journey's a game. <laughs> what? There's, 
Yes, there's some extra stuff, but there's very little difference between. You get to jump. Time. It's different because you get to jump and float I and float. chirp. You get to chirp. That's right. No, no, I, I love Journey though. Not though. I found the more and more things I read about Journey and people's personal experience with it, I find that I'm enjoying it, but not for the same reasons as everybody else. I guess there's quite a lot of levels on it. I mean, people have kind of compared Journey to they've made this analogy to it being a religious experience and the sort of experience of to, to go into spoiler land of like you know death and resurrection and that kind of thing. And since I'm like about as unreligious as you can get, you know, I I certainly didn't interpret it that way at all. I just thought it was a nice wee nice wee walk through the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like everyone talks about the companionship, which for a lot of people is an important thing. It's real person on the other side and that you're going along with and they can't really be a dick to you in this yeah. online game like others. That's, that's the and I found being dicks. That, that's actually like that's Oh, the they still can be, but it's very subtle. Yeah, you can't and you can't always somebody in journey. Can't do that. Well you can, but you can always excuse it as like something else. Like if they rush ahead of you and they leaving you behind and let you do nothing as everything gets unlocked before you, it's like Okay, they've done this. It's like there are many different reasons for that. They didn't see me. They did this all before, and they want to get to the next part, or they so whatever. It depends. It, it's funny but, that you know, whenever you can't express yourself, you end up imprinting personalities onto the characters. Like so, some of them, I'd be like, oh, I'll help you out. You know, we'll get through this together. And other ones, I'd just be like, fuck you. This journey's getting done, right? I'm journeying. <laughs> are you journeying? No, get lost. <laughs> like, yeah, I think part of my experience with this though is. I don't actually care about the other person that much. It's like, that is not going to I made an actual PlayStation friend in Journey, and they yeah. even sent me a message out oh. asking what my utterances were about, because I started doing this kind of wee, like, <laughs> I, w- I would kind of chirp, and then they would chirp back, and I would kind of chirp back to them, and then they, after this, they sent me a, a message saying, you know, what, what was the, what were those chirps about? And I just kind of sat there going, you know what? I don't know. I had no idea what they were about. It was just this kind of thing. Whenever you start playing it, you're not quite convinced that they're humans, and maybe it's like the developer playing a trick on you. So you just kind of chirp yeah. back and see if they'll chirp back, if they can do basic pattern matching, you know? It's just kind of weird. That's like something that ties in a bit think, later with, with all, It's Almost Summer, the Tale of Tales game that came out later this month. But it's like I got to an end of, I think, my second play of Journey, and like I was drawing hearts in the snow for the other person and stuff like that. And it was just like it was really emotional for reasons that I couldn't really articulate. And you get toward the end and they give you the list of the names of the people that you journeyed with. And I wanted to PM them, but I'm like, it's really late. This was probably someone in Japan. I don't know if I can really make that leap. It was just like, it doesn't really overcome any sort of inherent shyness or nervousness that you might have. It's interesting, like, reading through some people's experiences where it's just like, well, everyone that I met was an asshole. And it's just like, (laughs) well, maybe you should just not play online then if you're going to go into it with that kind of mentality. I definitely didn't think anybody I played with was an asshole because... It's not necessarily a co-op game. And so if they want to just frolic about and play with those magic carpet things, I was like, well, fair enough. You know, do, do what you want. It's not it's like... A it's a pilgrimage game. Yeah, because it's not something like Halo or Call of Duty where, you know, you're playing a team game of Halo and if somebody's, like, team killing and stuff, they've got a stamp on them saying, dickhead, it's like, don't play with this person. But in Journey, you, you can kind of do what you want. It's like... I think it's the expectation. Like, they hear all these massive, meaningful experiences that people have with the other player that when it doesn't, like, when they get a player who behaves differently 
than all the meaningful companionship that they've been told for one reason or another, they feel completely let down by it. I don't know if the companionship is what's meaningful. I mean, to me, it was more the relationship between me individually and the game. And the companion is just a nice-to-have thing. And it was an interesting kind of side quest, no, if I'm you like. You well, you're not with me on that, or you are? No, I'm with you on uh, that. I, I mean, whenever, I, whenever you get to the end of it and you're kind of rising up the mountains playing that really nice kind of triumphant music, I felt really emotional, but it wasn't because I was there with somebody else. It's because it was, at that part, I was actually on my own. It does this thing where it kind of fades in and out of, of like the little cutscenes that it gives you, and you're on your own in those cutscenes, and you come back, and somebody might have gone on or they might not have. So one thing it doesn't do is it doesn't explicitly pair you up, and that means that even if you're with somebody who's a kind of partner in your game, that it's quite easy to get separated, and it doesn't do a good job of, of keeping you together. So I think in that sense, like for me, I kind of felt like, well, it's good to have a, have a bit of fun with these you know, players and see what's going on, but ultimately you're kind of on your own. Well, for that last part, they always, like, between the cutscenes, if the other person hasn't logged off, they actually keep you together through those cutscenes. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's a grab bag. But I always found I lost them every single time in that final triumphant part. It's like, I couldn't, they, like, disappeared. I couldn't mm-hmm. find them. In fact, for, like, every time I've played it, I've actually never been with a small amount of people. It's, I've always met up with almost a dozen every single time. I usually manage about half a dozen, yeah, but what will happen is that I'll lose people frequently in about the first leg of the game, but then by the time that you're getting toward the mountaintop and there's snow everywhere, I tend to stick with the same player. I mean, there was one where I I fell off a ledge, and they waited for me for five minutes. It was just like the most emotional thing. (laughs) But, you know, it's just, I think in my second play, I had the same person just that one person for the entire leg of it, and that was pretty remarkable on its own, and that's the one that I drew the heart around for. But it was the first one where you're very slowly ascending the peak of the mountain, and you've got those winds that are just beating you down, and you're barely crawling forward. That it's just like, that was the pretty much the first and only time where I felt I wasn't just standing next to someone who just happened to be going along the same path. I was with that person because there was just, like, such an arduous struggle to keep on moving forward. And there's another thing that's kind of like an understated mechanic, but when you huddle close to another person, especially in those cold environments, you warm each other up. And that's yeah, just yeah, such you a... Get your scarf back? Well, yeah, I mean, not so much in the snow sections, but you can still, like, admit a little bit of a glow when you warble your little chirp at one another. And it's just, ah, ah, it's the survival aspect of that. It's just, I think, was far more visceral to me than all of the floating together in the dead paradise after, whatever you want to call it. Dead paradise. It's just like... <laughs> uh, spoilers. <laughs> whatever. It's, it's, it's been out for like nine months, and it's been hashed to death. But, no, I mean, I'm with you on not really jiving on the sort of religious reincarnation aspect of it. I felt when the, when I had beaten it the first time, and it's like, oh, I've transformed into a ball of light, and now I have to start the journey over. Are you kidding? That's such a jip. I just want to die. But <laughs> oi, oi, oi. What? Jip. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry. Um, I felt cheated. So sorry. So sorry. Oh, crap. Now you're insulting cheaters? It's okay to insult cheaters. <laughs> cheaters are mostly white anyway. <laughs> but it's just, moving on whatever but no it's just journey 
fun, happy, happy time. Emotional. Not my favorite of that game companies, but definitely a game that deserves that deserves an awful lot of the accolades that it's gotten. And the first game that's up for a Grammy. So Oh, yep. well, no, well, the first okay. soundtrack, not the first game music of the Grammy, but the first soundtrack. Right. Well, I mean, like, with Civilization, it's just like, yeah, that song was nominated, but it wasn't a song that was originally made for the game. Austin Wintry's yeah, soundtrack was originally designed for Journey, and that's what's up. So, I mean... The song was designed for the game. It was later put on the map. Right. But anyway... Anyway, so the uh, other big thing, the other huge release of March yeah, that we have to this talk was about a huge is I Am Alive. <laughs> you really know how to ruin it for me. You are dead. You are dead. That's you are. No. Oh, Chris, you really know how to ruin it for me. Like the other divisive. <laughs> I was about to say the other divisive, super divisive game from this month. Right, I Am this, Alive. I Am Alive. Yeah, yeah it was. Me. It was the super divisive. Brad Galloway, for instance, put it in Wait his Wait a minute, you are five. actually going with I Am Alive and not the other one that we've been jokingly avoiding? No, I'm absolutely serious. I Am Alive is one of the most divisive games of the year. People, You're like shitting Brad, me. Brad Galloway, Brad Galloway put it in his top five for the game of the year. Other people are saying it's one of the greatest, one of the greatest experiments in the indie, indie escape from this year. Okay. And you others call it absolute unplayable trash. And it calls it absolute unplayable trash, on the other hand. It is a very divisive game. I mean, I didn't really get very far in it because I was expecting one thing and got another and just kind of, well, this isn't going in my top whatever. But I mean, it's just like, unplayable trash. What? What are you expecting it to be? Did you expect to have more bullets? No, when I mean unplayable trash, they mean like it broke. It would consistently break. Well, I am kind of annoyed by all the invisible walls everywhere. And the fact that apparently people can't remember that you hold, you have a gun. If you put it down, they instantly forget that you have it. <laughs> it's like, I was just threatening to shoot you. You put the gun down to go do something else, and they come charging at you, and you have to put it up so they stop, and they put their hands up and stop again. It's, it's, like, it's like a game of red light and green light. Right. No, for me, the defining moment was when I actually didn't have any mo- bullets for my gun, and I was charging at two people with a machete, and they were coming at me with their machetes, and I was attacking one and stabbing him, and the other was just, like, wailing on me with his knife thingy. But it was going right through me, and he just kind of, like, kept on humping up against my character without doing any damage, while I just peacefully went and took care of the other one. And then I turned around and took care of him. So, like, I kind of get what people are saying about it being broken. This is, you know, you have this idea of, like, this very... And I hate this word, really, when it's applied to games, but realistic kind of, like, survival scenario. And then it does all, like, these really buggy, gamey, trashy things that detract from that. Maybe we should say authentic rather than realistic. No, I hate that word, too. I'll find it. I'm trying my best. There is another word that's, uh... (laughs) If you say immersive, I'm gonna gut you. No, it's not immersive. uh... You know what? I'm gonna remember an hour and a half from now. Just dub it in. Just insert it in. Yeah. So I'm about waist uh, deep in this podcast right now. I don't know if I'm totally. I'm not waist deep, not face deep. What is face? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I thought you like yeah, your face. Okay. Was yeah. Anyway, to move on, since none of us can really speak too well to I am alive, and I'm sure there are one or two places you can get more detailed explanations on it. The space epic. The 
traveling through the blackness, trying to beat the evil people who are trying to kill you and destroy all that you hold dear. Angry Birds Space. Yes. Fantastic it, game. Game of the Come on, we all we all have we all have smartphones. We must have at least downloaded it. I did actually. I downloaded it as a desktop for my Android phone. <laughs> yeah, well, because I need it. Well, you know, it's an Android phone, so you don't actually pay for things. So Although to make sure it worked. Well, you couldn't be bothered to hawk up the ninety nine cents to get rid of the ads. No, because it's another smartphone game. Go, yep, this works. This I was, because it was me testing a phone. So like. Does it go to the native resolution of the phone? Yes, it does. All right, brilliant. <laughs> I know it's, like, hip and cool to say Angry Birds aren't games. I enjoy that series. Who says they aren't games? Wait, who says they aren't games? Assholes? Okay. Step, in, step into my office. Yeah, it, it's become sort of a thing to say, but it's, like, really, out of everything, you're going to... They're and super gamey games. It's probably because... It's mostly because they're super successful, but it's because they're on the iPhone. They're not real games, oh, and I'm doing the... screw it. Yeah. That's, that's, no. that's not even getting into game versus not game. That's getting into yeah. casual versus uh-huh. real versus, games. Casual and versus I, hardcore. Hardcore there's games. A, there's a bullshit gatekeeping that's gone on this year, and I wish it would fucking stop. No, but I really enjoy the Angry Birds series, and Angry Birds Space does a lot of interesting extra stuff. Like, you can slingshot around different gravity markers, like planets, and try not to get lost in the black holes. It's It really upped the notch of which that premise could do. So it's like the Super Mario Galaxy of flinging birds around in space. <laughs> Nothing? I that wasn't the joke? That wasn't me. That wasn't me trying to get a rise out of you. I was being, I was being no, serious. Was no, no, the laugh was that everyone just kind of fell silent when you said that. No, it's because I'm trying to think. Because uh, there's another Angry Bird game, also excellent, came out later this year. And I don't know if I could consider that the galaxy in this one, maybe like the 64. Is that the one that was in a galaxy far, far away? Yeah. Okay. We'll get to it later. Speaking of in a galaxy far, far away and outside our normal comfort zones, MLB 12, the show. Oh, right, let's just talk about oh, no. Mass Effect. I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm on the inside. Don't talk, we don't talk about sports games enough in our circles. And True. This is like every year, Michael Abbott has to come out and evangelize the MLB, the show series to everyone and try and convince them that it's not just a sports sim, but it's it's gamey enough that, that people of other genres can get into it and enjoy it. Yeah. I'll believe it when you can customize your avatar with big anime hair and stuff like that. Oh, I'm sure there's a mod for the PC version. Oh, no, it's PS3 only. Oh! Console games. That's another mark against it. You don't have a console? Like any? No, I have, all, I have PS3 and 360, but I hate them compared to PC games. You're weird. What? Yes, I destroyed my PS... PC, but it's my version of the Xbox 360. I can't deal with non-PC games anymore. It needs to be sad, or I get sad. <laughs> Weird. So I just got a PS3 like, this year, so I, I'm kind of catching up on my PS3 backlog. I basically bought it specifically to play Journey, and I quite I quite enjoy it. Once you get once you actually get the PS3 turned on, updated, get your games downloaded, convert them from a trial into a full game, and actually get into playing them, it's fine. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. <laughs> Until the next time that you need to update, like, five minutes yeah. later. So the next game, I have to go yeah. back to the, the dreaded menus of death. So I got bit in the, the Matrix, where it's like, you know, Neo, how are we going to get through this PlayStation? Menus. Lots of fun. 
And then they, the, the cross media bar rules out of the abyss. Endless rows and columns. I have no problem with that because, well, my ears to the grindstone. So whenever an update comes out, in, just in the back, it's just like, okay, I wasn't going to play it. Turn it on, update it, go back, do something else. It's like, I keep it updated so that problem never comes when I want to sit down and play. I don't have that issue. Oh, well. It's such a huge energy suck. I actually, I think I've read that the 360 draws more energy, but, I mean, my PS3, if it's on for more than a few hours at a time, I mean, the fans start whining. I can't have that thing on. It's annoying, and it's and there's not much to do on it, and for a while I was just letting it do the folding at home thing, but that's kind of pointless. Yeah, and your energy bill at home. Folding yeah. at home. Ugh. No, it's, it's, I don't know, I... It's unwieldy like an awful lot of Sony hardware is these days. Well, that's a whole different issue. There's actually a very good article on why that is. But anyway, all right. The fall of a series, the fall of a franchise, Silent Hill Downpour. Didn't play it. It's okay. No? You're, you're just going to you're gonna run out of these soon. I, uh, I, I'm thinking very hard. For the day. All right, all right. Nobody else can see this Mass list. Mass this, is, this is only annoying us. Okay, yeah. Mass Effect, yay! Because I kind of announced it at the beginning, because Chris made me. Okay, it was a thing. Everybody got angry at each other for the last five minutes of a 40-hour game. April. (laughs) 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 What is there left to say? Nothing. I played it, and I've heard it all. I I loved that it was so controversial. I loved that it pissed people off. I just lapped up those fanboy tears. Okay, now we're moving on. No, I didn't get to didn't get to see anything about it. All right, fine. <laughs> Discussed like the outrage last time and the, the stupid length that people went to. Well, it's such a great game. It's such a great franchise. They, I mean, one of the one of the things I kind of said about it was that really wanted to make sure that we talked about it. And split screen is like a kind of lifetime achievement award, if you like, for the series because it would be a shame for people to think that because the third episode in the series ends in a very silly note and like. It's the last five minutes of a 120-hour game, really. And it's a pretty shoddy, ridiculous five minutes, but it's kind of like, to me, Mass Effect was like the, the branching endings of Outrun, if you like. And so, how are you going to tie those together? You can't. So it's like, right, what colored explosions do you want? Come on, let's go. <laughs> it's all over. Yeah. I wonder if it didn't offer the choice and says, push this button and it's over. And that was it. Yeah, okay, well, there's always, a, there's always a choice to turn off your computer, isn't there? That is not, that is a non-choice. <laughs> but it's like, if anybody hasn't played the trilogy, don't make the mistake of thinking that because of this backlash towards the end of the third, that you shouldn't play any of them. Because I would, I would say it's, it's definitely my favorite series of this sort of console generation. Like I, I wouldn't want anybody to not play it, especially the second. The second's absolutely brilliant. No, they are very solid games, especially a very solid story. And honestly, I mean, I keep on comparing this to Final Fantasy VII, and I think that's still kind of the best analogy that could be brought up in relation to this. It's just like you have, like, this big epic game. and are trying not to anger everyone, Chris. What? We're trying not to anger everyone. Yeah, well, fuck it. I like angering people. That's why I'm a chick in charge of this vegan video game blogging, because it has to anger someone. Uh, I guess we're taking a break because Alan has to go for a second. Does he? Oh, thanks.